Jane. We are so glad that you are here. Thank you for coming out to Doorsville as we start a brand new year in 2015 and excited about what God's going to do in the next several weeks. Um, it was probably, gosh, I don't know, maybe like a year and a half ago, uh, maybe I was watching a video from Andy Stanley. And uh, he mentioned something in his video about his quiet time. And he talked about the fact that, that he would um, get up in the morning and he would get in his quiet room, you know, where it was. And then he would say something like this. that he'd say, you know, God, I want you to know I give you my eyes today. And, Lord, I give you my ears today. And I'm not sure how far he went in the process. But that really spoke to my heart personally. And so that is something I began doing like like a year and a half ago now of, of laying down and saying, okay, God, these are parts that I surrender and so out of that came this new series that we're embarking on called The Magnificent Seven. And what we're going to do over the next few weeks, and I'll remind you again at the end, is we're going to take a look. We're going to start begin with, now hang on, let me slow down. You never have a word in the sermon you can't pronounce. We're going to look at Maleficence. Ooh, ooh, and you don't know what that means. See, most of you guys are going, what is Maleficence? Well, Maleficence means harmful hurt, or even the ability to destroy. And in our case, we want to look this morning in Proverbs chapter 6, beginning there, at the idea and concept of sin in our lives. And really sin in the life of man, but also as it pertains to the life of the believer. And then, boy, like you're talking about like fresh off the press, um, this morning I was just sitting here thinking, and the last point on your sermon sheet um, is about the Lord's Prayer. And God just really spoke to my heart and said, okay, you need to give a whole sermon to that. So, and I mean that too. It really happened. And so we're going to talk about today about the harmful effects of sin. And I honestly believe that a heartfelt prayer and what better example than what Matthew, you're going to see next week how this lines up with the series. I mean, I was like blown away the more I thought about it. So we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer next week because that is the key ingredient. That is the key to us getting where we can enjoy and you know, where, where we can master and use the magnificent seven. And then, once we do talk about prayer, we'll start the next week, and we're just going to talk about our eyes. No, 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 no. Not, not just things we shouldn't look at, but, but seeing people, seeing circumstances, seeing life as God sees life. So we're going to talk about surrendering our eyes. Then we're going to talk about our ears. I mean, we all hear voices, right? Now, come on now, we all hear voices. We do. And it's really important what voice we listen to because it will definitely impact how we live our lives. And then we're going to talk about our heart because our heart is the throne room of our lives. So we're going to talk about who's sitting on the throne of your life and surrendering your heart. And then we have this magnificent thing called the brain, which is the greatest computer, computer ever to be invented or, or you know, made by God. It's incredible. And we're going to look at the thought process. And what's really cool is, now this is a big one for me, is that when these two control this. And then we're going to look at our mouths and how we can use our mouths for the glory or, or, or dishonor of God. Very, very important thing. How many of y'all have ever heard of filters before? You know, we have filter processes for our mouth. You know, something comes out of your mouth and you go, whoops, the filter slipped. Well, here's what I've discovered already. I'll give this to you way ahead of time. Is that when this is right and this is right, this is right. When this is right and this is right, this is right. So we'll look at our mouths. Then we're going to look at our hands. And our hands represent ministry. How does God want us to minister? And lastly, uh, it'll be the first week in March now, we're going to look at our feet. About how we go. 
how we are obedient, how we do. So I'm just way excited about our times together coming on Sunday mornings. I don't know if you've got vacation planned or whatever, but I hope every week that you can be here that you'll be here because I think this is a game changer. I think it's one of those things really can impact our Christian lives. Now, here's the deal. Um, you know, sometimes the Christian life is rather difficult. Sometimes it's, it's confusing. Um, you remember back, now, no, you don't remember probably. Most of us don't, but some of you do. You know, Abbott and Costello. And, you know, they were comedians a long time ago, even before my time. And I was probably very, very young, if at all, when they were kind of famous. And they had a radio act that they would do that was called Who's On First? And I want to give you just a little bit of that, and, and then you'll see why I used it. Now, it goes something like this. Now, this is not the Who's On First part, but it's, it's, each, each one of the players had a name, like who, what, where, because, naturally. They had different names. And so here's the conversation. Um, Abbott, you throw the ball to first base, Costello. Then who gets it? Abbott, naturally. Costello, naturally. Abbott, well, now you've got it, Costello. I throw the ball to naturally. Abbott, you don't. You throw the ball to who? Costello, naturally. Abbott, well, that's it. Say it that way, Costello. That's why I said, Abbott, you did not. Costello, I said I throw the ball to naturally. Abbott, you don't. You throw it to who? Costello, naturally. Now, wasn't that totally confusing? That's why I used it. I knew you'd go, huh? And you know, sometimes the Christian walk is kind of like that. We find ourselves kind of going, huh? You know, again, just a quick look. Look at Romans. Well, no, no, you don't look. I'll just read it to you. Um, look at Romans chapter, listen to Romans chapter 7. Here's what it says like this. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. And that's one part that makes sense. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. Does this sound like Evan Costello? You know, now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Like, you go, huh? What? And I really think that's where a lot of us are in our Christian walk. Now, by the way, a great study of Romans chapter 7, that's very understandable. But, but it, just a casual reading, you go, wait, 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 Paul, why did you say who's on first? You, know, you just kind of do that. And here's the deal. This is the beautiful part. Here's what Paul says in verse number 24. Oh, wretched man, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. Who is the deliverer? Who is the one who makes it possible? Paul says, thanks is Jesus Christ, our Lord. So God wants us to understand. He wants us to function within the Christian walk. And that's what we want to look at the next. So I think we miss it. I honestly believe. I know there are things that I've been taught as a small boy. I was one of those kids that was born in the church almost. I was in the nursery. I was in primaries and all those beginners, all those different things. As a teenager, wasn't saved till I was 21, but heard all that teaching and found myself often going, huh? And even up as an older man now, uh, 40 years old, I find myself going, huh? 
I told you a year and a half ago, I started praying, God, surrender. God, God, I give my eyes, I give my ears. And still sometimes I go, huh? Lord, Lord, how do I do that? Because I honestly believe when we understand this wonderful term called surrender, our Christian life changes. Our faith becomes so powerful. Now, I went to dictionary.com this morning and looked up the word surrender. And I want you to just, I won't read all the definitions. That's, that wouldn't be profitable. But listen to the first few words of each one of the definitions. To yield. To give. To give. To give up. To yield. To give. You get the idea that surrender involves to yield. To give. And the whole premise of the Magnificent Seven is going to be surrender. The whole premise of the Magnificent Seven is God, I give up. I surrender. And we're willing to give up and to surrender to God these, these seven things in our lives. It will have a dramatic impact in our lives. And what's really cool is, it's not something you do once. It's kind of like being filled with the Spirit. We are baptized once with the Holy Spirit, and that's when we are saved. But we are filled many times. The word filled means to yield control, um, to give God control of. And same way, we surrender these things to our lives over and over again. And as we do, it, it solidifies, it concretes them in our lives. And it is a game changer. So like I said, we're going to take a look at this, this word, maleficence, okay? These things that can harm us, and what better place, and it is the, this, this came about, this, this sermon has, this series has so much history. We were sitting in the Philippines, and for some reason, among the team, um, Proverbs chapter 6 popped up. And so after discussing a little bit with the team, we're just talking about it, I said, you know what? This would be a wonderful starting point, uh, Jim, a starting point for our series. And in, in Proverbs chapter 6, we have these seven things that God lists that he really hates. Go ahead and take your Bibles and look there. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16 through 19. Let's start with the very first phraseology there at the very beginning. There are six things, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. So, so the, the, this, the, uh, the proverb, probably Solomon, by the way, Solomon starts out by saying, now, now here's a list of six things, no, 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 seven things that God really hates. And we're going to look at the list in just a few minutes. But here's what I want you to get right off the bat. We understand that God hates sin. Sin is anything that is unrighteous. Sin is offensive to God, okay? So we know even though there are seven things in the list here, it's got to be bigger than that. It's got to be bigger than, okay, these are seven things that God really, really hates, and the rest of them he sort of kind of hates. Well, that doesn't even make sense, does it? If God is, is holy and just and all those things, then it's not that he just picked seven he really hates, and the rest of them you know, he'll somehow tolerate. That makes no sense. You're, when you're a holy God, you don't tolerate sin. So here's the deal. I got the picture in my mind, no pun intended, that these seven sins draw a portrait of our depravity. It, it, it draws a portrait of our separation from God. That is, when you look at these seven sins, they're like brush strokes on a picture. And the picture is, it's Solomon drawing a picture of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of our depravity. Showing us how much we need a Savior. Showing us how unlike God that we are. Because it is crucial 
that we as humans understand if we're ever going to become part of God's family, if we're going to be drawn into his family, if we're going to experience God's grace, we've got to understand lostness. We've got to understand lostness. And so, so this is like a brush strokes that Solomon's painting in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is what depravity looks like. Now, we don't have a hard time with that in the world today. I mean, you just read some of the headlines and you understand how evil and how carnal society is. But we need to step back. We need to go back and look at this depravity. So, so Solomon paints this picture of what it looks like. Now, we wrestle with this. Now, one, I think the world wrestles with it. The world wants to say, I'm not that bad. The culture we live in today, they don't really want a God anyway, and so they throw God aside and say, we'll write our own standards, our own rules. It's up to me to determine what is good and what is right. If it's right in my eyes, it's okay. Situational ethics. If I say it's okay, it's okay. If, if you say it's okay, it's okay with you. You know, whatever each person writes what truth is. And what, what untruth is. We write this. So we wrestle with this. I think the church wrestles with it. I think we have a real... I think we sometimes forget what we were before God saved us. You know, every once in a while, if you want to do something fun, go back about three church directories. Now, some of you know Jerry Ford. And you look at Jerry Ford now, he's a very distinguished elderly man. And he is elderly. He's getting close to 80 years old, I think. Got the nice gray hair combed over, not a hair out of place, you know. You know, a very distinguished young man. But you go back and look at that directory in the 80s or 70s, somewhere in there, and you see this guy with these big honking glasses on. I mean, it was the 70s. You know what I'm trying to say? These things were this big, and boy, you had still pretty large hair then, plaid coats, and you're going, what? And I don't know about you, I don't show off those pictures. I remember I had this suit once. I got it from Bell Cutson, Judy, in Valdosta, Georgia. And it was white with black plaid. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. I look at it now and go, who is that guy? And why did she date him? Is the crazy part. I mean, we were at a sweetheart bank at the church when I had this picture made. I'm going, oh my gosh. I thought it was such an incredible suit and it was so ugly. So normally what we have a tendency to do is when we look back at those old pictures, most of us look better now than we did when we were like 35 with the fashion and all that going on. You know, we want to hide those pictures. Well, I really think, and I think it's a mistake, I think we have a tendency to hide the portrait of our depravity. I think we have a tendency to hide what we used to look like. And the danger of that is that we forget what God did for us. And we start thinking how good we are of our own, how far we've come, how good we are. And that is such a dangerous, dangerous thing. So I think the society wrestles with depravity. And I think we wrestle with our own depravity, what we were before we met Christ. So, so, so again, Solomon says, now, there's six things, really seven, that God absolutely hates. Now, there's one more thing. Let me, let me bring this to your attention. When you see something that the words say that God hates, now, if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. If you see something God hates, it should be on your hate list if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. I mean, we really, again, we let society control our sin list, what is wrong and what is right. And too often we find ourselves embracing things that God hates. I mean, some of you guys are perfectly okay with some of the things that God says, I don't think so. 
I don't think so. I, you know, the church is trying to, trying to embrace the, uh, the abortion issue. Someone's saying, well, you know, it's a woman's right. Well, it may or may not be a woman's right. I'm not going to debate that. But God calls it murder. And he just calls it wrong. I mean, God, God says life begins in the womb. So, so if we're not careful, we let society dictate what is right and wrong. So I'm just telling you, when God loves something, we ought to love something. And when God hates something, it should pretty well make our hit list. Okay, so, so we've got to be careful and examine today. Matter of fact, just pause right now while I'm preaching, while I'm sharing with you from the Word. Just pause and say, well, how does that line up in my life? Are there things in my life right now that God's Word specifically says God hates, and I'm embracing them? That's a real warning sign for this series to speak into your life. It's a real warning sign that we need to take a look at where we are with God. Now, what Solomon does then, after he says all this, that God hates them, they're abomination, and, they're, and that there are seven of them, which, by the way, by the way, once again, I think this solidifies the idea of a portrait uh, of a collection, is the number seven means completion. Number seven, and by, you know, biblical numbers mean certain things. And, and the number seven is a sign of completion. Okay? So, so perhaps that solidifies the idea of what Solomon's trying to paint. For us this morning. And then he goes and looks at the, the seven things. Now again, I want you to understand, look at it that way. Don't look at seven individual snapshots. Look at it as a portrait that Solomon is drawing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God says this is a picture of man how they are. Left in their natural state, this is what we look like. And the first one is haughty eyes or, or eyes that are prideful. It, it really declares an independence from God. You'll be hearing that, that repeated throughout the series also. Uh, uh, when someone has haughty eyes or prideful eyes, in their own eyes they see themselves incapable. They see themselves independent of God. Who needs a God if I can handle it? So he says, haughty eyes. He says, a lying tongue. And I always go back. You know, sometimes people say, what is the big deal with God and lying? Because it was lying that got man where he is. Go back to the garden with me just real quickly. And we're standing there, and Satan, you know, slithers up in the form of a serpent and says, Did God really say that you couldn't eat of all, these, of this, of all the trees? And he says, Oh, no, no, God said we couldn't eat or touch of that tree, of that tree. And, and if we do that, then we're going to die. Now, Eve didn't exactly get it right because God never said don't touch. She just kind of either, either Adam added that or she added it, one of the two, and you always get in trouble when you add to the Word of God. Always get in trouble. And so if we do this, we're going to die. And Satan goes, you won't die. He lied. And then it's just a big lie story is what that is. And I think one reason why God is so offended by lying is because it's the language of hell. It's the language of the evil one. And when we lie, and by the way, there's no white lies. Come on, there's no white lies. There's no gray truth. There's truth and untruth. There's lying and there's truth is what there is. So, so God says, I hate this, this lying tongue. And I hate hands that shed innocent blood. And, and, and that could be many things. It's murder. We, we, could, we could jump on the, the, the uh, bandwagon again of abortion or something like that. Euthanasia. We could talk about how, how in, many, in many places senior adults are so disregarded that when they become non-functioning adults that people want to kill them. Again, life is precious. But I really think probably where we're going to go with that 
when, when we talk about it, you're going to see the word apathy pop up. Because again, the church is so filled with apathy in certain areas. It's like we almost forgot why God left us here. God left us here to be a light. And we often want to take our light and hide it under a bushel. And Jesus said, you just can't do that. So we find ourselves trying to be comfortable, trying to be accepted. I was, of all things this morning, I was listening to Adrian Rogers, like at 5.30 in the morning. You know, I kind of, when I crawl out of bed, I have to kind of wake up, you know, so I'm drinking coffee and listening to Adrian preach. And, and you know, and he was talking about that. He was talking about how that, how that we, we, we have a tendency to embrace the world and not God. And what a dangerous thing that is. I'm going, yay, Adrian, that's exactly right. And, and how that, that we're, again, we, we just kind of want to go along the world. He was saying that, you know, if the whole world likes you, there's something wrong. He told the story of a pastor. You know, there was a man who just did not like Christians. And the story went like this. He told, he said, he said you know, actually it was him. No, it wasn't him. It was another guy. And, and so, so the guy was saying he knew he was a Christian, and the guy would just ride him like a horse, ride him like a horse, and ride him like a horse. And so finally the, the lost guy said to this guy, you know, that he learned he was a preacher. And he said, well, listen here. If you're going to be a preacher, I was speaking to Adrian. If you're going to be a preacher, be a good one. And Adrian said, well, okay, what does that mean? He goes, I knew a pastor once. He was a good preacher. He never brought up Jesus or anything. And we have a tendency to do that. You know, we, we, we may, listen, listen, students, we may take our popularity over our Christ. Guys at the work, in the mines, or wherever you might work, we may take our popularity being accepted over our Christ. As preachers, we got to be careful. Everybody wants to be liked. We got to make sure we don't compromise our Christ. We got to be careful with that. Careful with that. So, so he says, you know, hands that shed innocent blood. Um, a heart that devises wicked plans. You know, Jeremiah said, the heart is desperately wicked, and who can know it? A heart that is bent on devising ways to disobey God. Um, feet that make haste to run to evil. We should be running from evil, not to evil. And the world, you know, sinners look like sinners, and, and they, they run to evil. And then a false witness who breathes out lies. A false witness, one who speaks evilly against another one. And one who sows discord among brothers, among sisters. God hates that. God hates that. So, so see that as a portrait of the depravity of man. Now here's what I want you to get. Remember I told you? All of us probably who are not too old have pictures of our lives. Um, I've got one where you know, I, I was a, a young kid eating a, a piece of watermelon. I was like three years old. You fast forward, I've got one. When I was in sixth grade, and I'm wearing my little patrolman badge. I was so proud of that. You move forward, and I had hair over my ears. I actually had hair. I mean, hey, those were good days. And then I told you about the suit, and then you move forward. You know, we all have different portraits of who we are. And this, and this portrait can be, represent one of three things in our lives. Okay? See, some of us once were dead in trespasses and sin. Let me read it to you. Listen to this. This is Ephesians chapter 2. Great scripture. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, 
the Spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once, con- all once, all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature, past tense, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. So, so there's a group of people here today who, when the Bible says you were dead in trespasses and sin, and you walked a certain way, you don't walk that way anymore. By God's amazing grace, you met Jesus Christ. And you repented of your sins. You turned from your sins and you experienced grace and God forgave you. And now you walk a different path. And for some of you, you know, even in the sound of my voice on the radio or perhaps in this room, there's some of you that's present. That's present. You'd have to admit today, you know what, Dwayne? I never even heard about Jesus and, and grace and sacrifice and a Roman cross. I kind of just thought you'd kind of be, try to be as good as you can be. And that's kind of like, you know, there's a scale out there somewhere, and you measure that, and if it tilts in the right direction, ding, 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 it's your good day. I, I, thought, I thought you kind of all got in. In the end, and today the Bible would say, the Bible would say, a trusted book thousands of years old. There's no revisions of the Bible. It might be different versions, but there's no revisions. It's not like the Koran. The Koran, they have a... Now listen, the Koran has a committee set up to determine what was the latest revelation of Muhammad. They, they, they'll tell you that. We don't have a committee to determine because it was never revised. It has stood the test of time. And the Bible says that left to our natural state, we are born spiritually dead. We are born separated from God. And that's how some of us are. Some of you here today have never experienced grace. And God's word says you're spiritually dead. But here's the scary part. There's those of us who were dead and now we're alive. And there's some here who are dead and, boy, God wants to make you alive. But there's too many believers today who want to play dead. You know how possum does? The possum, as a defense mechanism, will roll over and just lie there and pretend to be dead. And a predator will come along and smell him. And if I can't kill him, I won't eat him. So they go away. And you know, too many of us act like we're dead. The habits of our lives, our lifestyle, our worldview, the things we do are that of the world and not that of Christ. And people look at us and they don't see an alive believer they see a dead believer. Now listen, the real, there's real danger in that. There's real danger in the sense that you might really be dead. Because the Bible says that if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Come back tonight, we're going to talk about that. So, so, so it could be a past picture. It could be a present picture. But don't let it be a future picture. The whole point of the Magnificent Seven is that two years from now, we won't be acting like dead people. We'll be acting like the resurrected believers in Jesus Christ, the blood-bought believers in Jesus Christ that God wants us to be. We'll be experiencing the victory that God wants us to be. This is a series with a purpose. It's not a pointless message. It's a message. It's a series with a point. So we look at this. And you need to ask yourself, you need to ask yourself, you need to ask yourself, is this who I was and thank God it's not who I am? And you can look at my life and see my actions, they back up the God I serve. Are you realizing today that you look at this and that's really who I am? And today might be the day I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Savior. 
or in the recesses of your heart, as you hear these words, you're going, how did he know? How did he know that I'm one person at Dorisville and another person 300 feet underground? How do you know I'm one person at Dorisville and another person in the locker room at school or in the back seat on Friday night or at a bar on Tuesday night? How did he know? I'm just going to tell you this. God has called you to something far more and far better than all of that. So, so Solomon paints this picture of our depravity. Now, now let's, look, let's look quickly at, at Proverbs 4, I'm sorry, Psalm 14, verses 1 through 3. And it really solidifies what I've been trying to say in a very real way. You know, this is, again, it's like another picture, this time written by the psalmist, about who we are. Now, the Bible says the fool, and I think it's this way of saying it's a very foolish thing. Now, again, all of us have done foolish things. All of us have done things that were just not wise. I was yesterday, gosh, I thought, is Hobie here today? Hobie, you here? Dude, I almost blew it yesterday. I was coming into Carterville. He knows about construction zone, Hope, and you slow down to 45 right there. And, and I don't, I'm not a speeder. I'm not. I mean, I might do like three over, but I, that's just about it. I guess that still makes me a speeder, doesn't it? Well, anyway, I'm not a big speeder. I'm a little speeder, okay? I'm just a little speeder, okay? And so I'm coming in there and really not, you know, I was thinking about something else totally out of my mind and, you know, like totally in somewhere else. Wasn't texting, wasn't on the phone, just thinking. And, and I see a, a, a Carterville police car come the opposite direction and he pulls into turn. I'm going, I was doing my speedometer and I was doing like 53 and a 45. I said, oh, my gosh. You know, so I, I moved over and slowed down. And thankfully, he was going the other way. He wasn't interested in me that day. But he had been fully just, though, because I was speeding. I was doing a foolish thing. What was the foolish thing? I wasn't paying attention to my driver. So all of us have done foolish things. Amen? We all have. So the psalmist says, the foolish person has said in his heart, there is no God. Now let's talk first off. Let me talk to you today. If you are one of those people who, if you'd have to agree that you know you don't have a relationship with God, you'd have to agree that that you are dead in trespasses and sin. You may not. What does that mean, Dwayne? Well, it means spiritually you're separated from God. You have to agree with that. This is not a this is not a verse about atheism. No, no, no. See, everybody has God. You may say, I don't believe in God. Oh yes, you do. You may drive it. You may live in it. You may go to work 8 and get off at 5. You may take it down to the lake. You may kiss it at night. But you've got a God. Come on. Come on. See, that's a real dangerous thing. All of us worship something. All of us worship something. And, and really, you're here and you've got a God. You just don't have Jehovah God. You, you have a God wannabe and not the real God, but you've got something you worship. Okay, so, so he's saying, you know, it's not about there is no God. It's about not worshiping the one true God. And, and again, he paints a picture. Um, they are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. Remember? An abomination to God up in the other verses. There's none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together and become corrupt. There's none who does good. Not even one. Again, a portrait of our depravity. Who we are in our natural state. Let me tell you something. 
We needed a Savior. We need a Savior. And for all eternity, we will need a Savior. Jesus was not an event in your past on some day when you prayed some prayer. Jesus Christ is an event in your past, but He better be in your present. And bless God, the only way you're making it to heaven is if Jesus Christ is in your future. That's the Jesus that we have and the one we need. So, so, so this person would say that, yeah, I have a God perhaps, but it's just not Jehovah God. That's a very, very foolish thing. I know what society says. But I'm telling you, God's not out of date. God's more relevant today than He's ever been before. But I love, again, I believe it's just the New King James Version, I think. Because it shows something that, that we really have a tendency to miss. You know, the fool says in his heart, it's just, if you have the New King James or the King James particularly, you'll see the words, there is no God. And the word there is are in italics. And that means they are not in the original language. So it would read like this. The fool says in his heart, no God. And again, we can interpret that as saying there's not a real God, there's not Jehovah God. But the scary part is, it scares me to death that too many believers in Jesus Christ tell God no. Our lifestyle is, no, God. I want you to do this, no, God. I want you to love, no, God. I want you to forgive, no, God. I don't think we're in a position as followers in Christ to tell God no. Let me say it again. I don't believe as followers in Christ we are in a position to tell God no. The old cutesy saying that went around for so long, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. But we're just not in a position... To tell God no. And I'm, again, please stay with me. If you're a Christ follower today and you know God said do something. Now, I'm not talking about Africa. I'm not talking, about, I'm not talking about selling all your possessions and moving to Montana on a commune somewhere. Wearing a white robe and singing Kumbaya. I'm talking about God said I want this for you in your life. And if you can look back, or you right now know God speaking to your heart, and you're saying, no, God, that's a very foolish thing. Foolish on a couple levels. Now, I can't, I won't share one now because I've got to share it in just a minute. Because I believe, and it's not important I believe it, it's important I believe this word says it. That, and it's not important I believe it, the word says it. That God is a God of good. This whole thing, well, let me pick it up. This, this whole thing is about the goodness of God for us. It is His divine revelation to us. It is not a negative book. It is a positive book. It is a book that God, is a love letter that God has written to His people and said, Hey, I love you, and this is how you need to live because I created you and I know what you need. That's what this book is about. By the way, and that's why it's important you read this book. Because when we don't read the book, then we don't get the love letter. When we don't get the love letter, we don't understand God. And we don't understand how much God loves us. And, and we don't understand how to live. And we try to do it on our own. How many of you guys this Christmas, how many of you guys this Christmas put something together and forgot to read the instruction manual? And you took it apart, didn't you? Again. You know, men are a little slow. 
Again and again and again, we've got to pick up the, <laughs> refuse to pick up the instruction manual. And like I say, it's never fun, is it? It never is. So it's not a good thing. It's a dangerous thing to tell God no. Now, one more verse. And that is found in Psalm 10, 3 through 4. This is one of those verses, because I've, I've read the Bible through like the last four or five years. Okay, so I know I've read this verse, right over my head. Okay, look at this. Psalm 10, 3 and 4. For the wicked one, the wicked one, boasts about his own cravings. The one who is greedy curses and despises the Lord. And boys, there's so much truth in that. Again, you know, if you're greedy, in other words, you're worshiping another God, then you curse or despise the Lord. You're rejecting the one true God. In all his scheming, in all his planning, the wicked arrogantly thinks there is no accountability since God does not exist. The world thinks that because we believe, they believe, that God doesn't exist, that that erases accountability. Well, you know what? Our thinking doesn't impact the existence of God. We can think all we want to. We can say, God's dead, God's dead, God dead. God didn't exist. God did. Guess what? He's still there. He doesn't, he doesn't change. He's not going to... He, listen, you aren't going to wish him away. And all you've got to do... Look, you say, well, you're being awful arrogant this morning. I don't mean to be. That's not my point. I just... You know, I'm a real... In some ways, I'm a very simple person. And maybe you have an answer this morning. I'm not the world's greatest apologetist, but I will tell you this. All I have to do is look around this world, and it screams at me there's a God. I mean, it was last week, I think it was, someone had a little, new little baby here, showed me a picture of a little baby. Beautiful, beautiful baby. I'm sorry, it didn't come from a glob of jelly. It just didn't. I look at the sun... I think it's incredible that scientists can look ahead a thousand years if the world still exists and tell you exactly what time the sun is going to rise and what time it's going to set. Who made that? Accident? No, the world just screams there's a God. I, listen, again, I don't have all the answers. I will look at you and tell you that there are questions I have that are unanswered. But again, I refuse to let the undeniable be overridden by the unexplainable. There are things about this world that are undeniable, and one of them is God. It's just undeniable. I'll get my questions answered one day, and you will too, if you'll trust God in a place called heaven. So the world wants to say that there's no accountability. Now, here's the scary part. That's the American dream. You know, no, it's the American nightmare. You know, we can go certain places in the world... And I can sit down one-on-one. -on -one. I can sit down one-on-one -on -one with a Muslim man. This happened in Mali. I'm sorry, in, in Uganda. He was in full, you know, robes the whole nine yards. And I'm going, he's never going to buy this. And I watched as that 81-year-old man, a, a Muslim man, heard the gospel perhaps for the first time in his life and said, I choose to walk that Jesus wrote. I saw that happen. It was incredible. 
Just incredible. It was amazing that God drew him into the family of God. And, and listen, in this crazy world we live in, not everybody's not interested. There is accountability. And we've got to share that good news with all people everywhere. The problem is, in America, it's hard. It's, I don't know if it's flawed logic. I don't know if they've heard it too much on the television somewhere. I don't know. But almost everybody in America is saved. Are you a Christian? Yeah. Well, how did that happen? Well, I drove by a church the other day and boop, it happened magically. Or I turned around the church parking lot. Or a preacher married me. Well, not married me. Did the ceremony. It's crazy. Listen. You know what I'm talking about. In America, it's almost like rite of passage. If you have citizenship, you've got citizenship in heaven. And nothing can be further from the truth. And that's why it's a spiritual nightmare. We are losing America because America has lost a picture of its own depravity. And we desperately need to preach the truth to people so they can see their need of a rescuer. They can see their need of a savior. They don't need a watered-down gospel. They don't need a dose of Southern Baptist religion. They need the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ clearly presented to them. There is accountability. And believers, there's accountability for us. Because the Bible says that each one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, not for the penalty of our sin, but to give an account for our lives. But we live as if there's none. That's the only explanation I can have is why so many believers live so loosely away from God's word. How can we hate one another? How can we not forgive? How can we be jealous? How can we just commit adultery at the wink of an eye? How can we sleep with anybody we want to sleep with without any thought of, you know, sleep on Friday and come to church on Sunday? How do we do this? Because somehow in our brain, we've got grace confused with accountability. The Bible says, in that, in that verse, Paul says... When we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that we'll be held accountable. And we will be saved, if you will, by the skin of our teeth. But we will give an account for our lives. Now, are you starting to see a little bit why this is important? If what I said is true today. Now, if what I said today is not biblical, first call me and, I, and I'll just say, okay, you know what? You showed me you're right. I was not biblical today. But if what I said today was the word of God and we are believers in Jesus Christ... This demands our best attention. This demands our best attention. If you're lost here today, and this may be the first time you've heard clearly that, wait a minute, I'm separated from God? You mean because I, I go to church, I'm not, I, that doesn't make me a Christian? No, it does not. What Jesus did on the Roman cross, where he shed his precious blood, where he took our place on the cross, where he experienced the full wrath of God, for mankind's sake. And when we understand that God has drawn us into his family and that we choose to turn from our sin and trust his grace and choose to follow him, that's the citizenship to heaven. That's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So over the next seven weeks, eight weeks now, we added one. This thing may go till June. For the next eight weeks after today, next week we're going to look at prayer, a heartfelt prayer. What role does it play in the Magnificent Seven? And then we're going to start the journey. You'll know where we're going. Eyes, ears, heart, mind, hand, mouth, hands, feet. That's where we're going. 
And we're going to look at surrendering each one of these items to God. Understanding that's all we can do. You can't fix yourself. You can't walk this Christian life. You can't do this Christian life. But as we surrender to God through the Holy, in the Holy Spirit, guess what? We can. We can. Would you bow your heads right there? Team, if you'll come up. The more real this becomes to you, this God thing, this, this relationship thing with God, believing that the word really is given for our benefit and our demise, the more you believe that, the more real your faith is going to be. And what a perfect time to launch a new year with saying, okay, God, I give up, I yield, I surrender. I give up, I yield, I surrender to you. I want 2015 to be different than 2014. I want my marriage to be different than it was last year. I want my relationship with my children to be different than it was last year. Students, you might say, I want my worldview to be different than it was last year. And it can start today. We, we call this our God time, and I'm going to ask you please not to move unless you absolutely have to. This is our time with God. Some call it a decision time. It's a time when if you're here today, we invite you and ask you that, Brother Brent, we stand up front, and we would love to share you a little bit more about how you can come in relationship with God. You heard it throughout the message. And again, all your questions will not be answered. But if you by faith will embrace the undeniable fact that there's a God, He loved you enough to send Son Jesus to die for you. And if you'll turn from your sin and choose to follow Him, your life will be forever and radically changed. Forever and radically changed. That's one. For those of us who know Jesus Christ as Savior, are you willing today to take that first step and say, God, I know this is the beginning. I heard enough to know, God, there are some areas in my life I need to surrender I need to lay down. And you're willing to buy faith to say, God, by your grace and with your power, I'm going to lay these down. I'm going to take the first step and surrender. It may be your, you may just fill the area of a blank check with God. It may be an area of your life you know you're wrestling with. I know, listen, oh, by the way, I didn't, I've got to tell you this. This series, if I could sit out there and talk and listen at the same time, I would. I've been doing this for 18 months, and I wish I could tell you I've just mastered it. I have not. But every day when I do it, it strengthens me. Every day, you know, the Word of God and Lamentation says that His mercies are new every day. We'll talk about that a little bit tonight. His mercies are new every day. So perhaps today is the day you want to make a surrender. So as the team sings, I'm asking you to stay seated. Keep your, your, your heads bowed. In a few moments, we'll, we'll join them in singing and stand to our feet. But right now, this is your time with God. Brent's waiting down front. If we can help you, if you want to come pray, we've got some people who would love to pray with you. If God's been to you about joining our church family, we would love to talk to you about that. Mostly if you need Jesus. From what you heard today, if you're ready to embrace God's grace, then come. Then come. This is your